spanning the nerd world and feeding your fandom. Crash landed. From comics to video games. From the cinematic universe to television. Stars in the industry. Something out there had discovered us. It's time for the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Here's your host, James Witham. Fresh off a cosplay holiday, it's episode 187 of the Down and Nerdy Podcast. I'm James Witham with my Chief Hopper costume neatly tucked away and saved for a future con at some point because I gotta tell you. Definitely enjoyed that costume this year, maybe more so than some of my others in the past. So you might see me wearing that at a con at some point. But a great show this week. Victoria Atkin back on the show for the first time in two years to talk to us about Horizon Zero Dawn. Of course, it was Paris Games Week, so we'll have her talk about that, the Frozen Wilds DLC that's coming out. Plus, you know she's on that show Extinct on BYU TV. You heard me talk to Chad Michael Collins a couple weeks ago, or maybe you didn't. Go back and listen to that interview if you haven't. She'll talk about that and a heck of a lot more. Plus, my spoiler-filled review of Stranger Things Season 2, a bunch of nerd news, and you know what we're doing next, reviewing comics. It's what we're reading on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, guys, this is Dachin Charbonneau, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Get out that long box, your tablet, or your laptop, whatever you're reading on. It's time for what we're reading, and we're going to head to space and actually a couple of comics that have a little bit of a similar theme, but I'll get to that in a second. So let's head to space with the Jetsons number one in DC Comics, written by Jimmy Palmiotti. Art not done by Amanda Connor, but by Pierre Brito. Amanda actually does the cover for this book. Alex Sinclair on the colors and Dave Sharp on the letters. This is a very much more serious and I guess grounded take on the Jetsons. Like, um, I maybe this is a spoiler, maybe it isn't, so a little bit of a warning just in case you haven't read this book yet. Like you have Elroy that's kind of got a thing for Cogswell's daughter, and they're running around exploring for something for George's birthday, and something goes terribly wrong. But other than that, I mean, each part member of the family has their own little thing. They have, like, like Jane's a big shot. She's headed to the International Space Station. George still has his normal job as kind of an engineer and a mechanic for Spacely's company. And then you've got... Judy, who's doing her high school thing, and Elroy is the is the explorer. So it's very very interesting dynamic, and it and it feels similar, but it feels more I guess real and grounded is the best possible way I could put it. Now there is a catastrophic event that's happened on Earth that they talk about in this book, and they talk about something else very very serious that I don't want to spoil, which is going to kind of be the theme going forward, and makes you realize this is going to be a much more serious. Jetson's comic, but it's something that feels very interesting about it to me, and, and it brings up a very important issue in our world right now, and that's the sea level rise and climate change and things like that, and it's something you don't really expect from a Jetson's comic, and I, I this is not a political podcast, we're not going to get into the whole thing about climate change or anything like that, but it's it, it makes you think, that's, that's all I will say, is it's one of those things where I didn't expect when I'm reading a Jetson's comic that it makes you think of stuff that may or may not actually happen. Of course, this is based in fiction, but it's one of those never-know, hedge-scratcher kind of things and definitely stirs up a debate. And if you'd have told me when I started reading this book that a Jetsons comic could stir up debate from even the most you know, hardened of stances, I think that that's a very neat thing and something that comics should be doing, right? They should not only bring enjoyment and entertainment into our lives, but every now and then get us talking and everything too. So it's just very cool to see, though, in this book, how big of a big shot that Jane Jetson actually is in commanding a lot of respect and to see her in a very much more powerful role, not a setting that was really known to her in the original animated series. And of course, given the time it was made, you kind of understand that. I mean, she definitely had her strong moments, but certainly not anything to the level that we see in this book. Art-wise, Brito's art, amazing very very well done it, it just it upgrades it very very well you see this in a lot of the future quest books that dc has put out recently too where it gives you a fresh look on characters they did this they did this with the flintstones as well it makes sense but it gives you a refresher on the characters gives you a little bit of a different look and, and it makes it more modern for for the lack of a better term because you've got to modernize this thing you can't necessarily make it look the way the original animated series did with the themes that are going on here. So very, very interested to see where this goes 
and what direction they decide to take and especially what the end game is going to be for the main theme of this book. I know I got to dance around that because I don't want to spoil it. So once you read it, let me know what you think, actually, because I think this one's going to be a pull for me for now. But it depends on how long things get dragged out and it depends on how on what stuff gets focused on and what doesn't. I think it's going to make my decision on whether or not I want to read this book long term going forward. Next one's kind of an interesting one. It's number one with a bullet from Image Comics. That's actually the title of the book. Jacob Saman does the writing. Jorge Corona does the art. Jen Hickman on colors and Steve Wands on the letters. It follows a character named Nash Wong, and she's in she's kind of an assistant for an alt news show or like a variety show type thing. And the story is kind of based around these augmented reality contact lenses. You know, you make people see stuff that you want them to see and so on and so forth. But then after that, you, you kind of think that's going to be the main focus of the story. And I guess kind of in a way it plays a role, but it really turns into another hot button issue in society today. And that's the invasion of privacy and kind of the hacking debate. And, you know, people getting hacked their emails or, or, or social media and stuff like that. And stuff gets released that you don't want. And, do people deserve that or do they not? Who's the victim and are there multiple victims? Again, a debate that I'm not going to have on this show because I don't want to get into the social societal impacts and, and all that stuff. That's a debate to be had maybe between you, the listener. But it's very, very interesting how it unfolds because it, it sort of gets and, – and you don't really think this is the focus of the book until it's right there in your face. And I love the – internal monologue that's written by by Saman because it plays a very important part on Nash's mental state leading up to this and actually even after it happens when you see the turn being made on this it, it makes it just pop right off the page and you don't really expect it and when you see what you see the debate changes or it doesn't for you or maybe you feel a certain way about Nash after you see what you see. And again, this is something I don't want to spoil for you. I want you to get the same reaction that I did when I read this. But what happens at the end, while this book dragged on a little bit in the beginning, I understand why they did it and why the setup was made. You had to let her let you know how her boss treated her or what her home life is like and you know what her life with her coworkers is like and the and the people that which she works with and the and the company that she works with. You needed to set that up in order to bring what you brought at the end of this book and make us, the reader, decide whether or not, you know, how invested we are in this Nash character. She's very much the social media butterfly, I guess you could say. And you see, you know, little, like little Twitter handle stuff pop up every now and then. So, again, it makes you think about your life on social media and being connected as a whole, really, really makes you think what the consequences of that really, really could be. And the skeletons in, in all of our closets, everyone, even the even the most, you know, clean of us has one or two things that, you know, oh, I wished I'd never said that, or I wished I'd never done that, or I wish I never took that picture. I mean, think back in your life, you've got at least one thing that you've done that you're not proud of, and that's what this book addresses. And that's why this one definitely is a pull for me because the art is very crazy and wacky and maybe a little bit wonky, but but I like it and I think it suits this book very, very well. And there are definitely certain pages, especially as the book goes on, it gets even stronger art-wise. So I'm very curious to see where we are issue two with the art. Now that this event has gone down, where it goes from there, because the art seems to be setting the tone a little bit for the pages and stories here. So Seeing what happens next, not just with the story, but with the art, is going to be very, very interesting. That's going to do it for what we're reading up next. It's time to go upside down. And my spoiler-filled review of Season 2 of Stranger Things is here on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. My name is Bo Smith. I'm the creator of Winona Earth. And you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. It's time to turn the show upside down and give my spoiler-filled review of Stranger Things Season 2. Again, spoilers from here on out. If you haven't finished binging Stranger Things Season 2 yet, you're going to get some things spoiled for you. Now, I will say this. I went into this second season completely understanding and thinking that they would not be able to capture the mystery 
of the first season, especially the way the first season ended. And I know that's been a criticism of the show that I've seen in the second season. Well, they were, it was hard for them to recapture that. I'm not sure, and this is my opinion, I'm not sure that was the whole point of this second season. The way the first season ended, you sort of knew that it was a pickup right where you left off kind of deal, right? You sort of know when when Will spits the little polywog, or at least that's what they end up calling it in the second season, into the sink, you know that's going to be a thing, and you know that we're still dealing with the upside down. You know that Eleven is alive, and you know that she's probably going to be coming back at some point. These are all things that we know, so it would almost be careless of them not to pick up where they left off or to create an entirely new story because you didn't really end that last story yet. So how can you just throw that away? So I I don't understand that criticism of the show. And I'm not going to recap every little part of this show. I mean, if you're listening to a spoiler-filled review, odds are you've watched it. If you you haven't finished binging the show, you're probably going to skip ahead anyway. So I'm not going to go into every little detail. I'll just talk about what I liked and did not like about this season. But I will give you the premise, and the premise is that Will is back, trying to reintegrate himself and his family is, and everybody's kind of trying to get back in the swing of things after everything that happened with the Upside Down and Hawkins Lab and the Demogorgon and everything. And you see that Nancy and Steve kind of have their faux relationship. Everybody's acting like everything's okay, and it's not okay because Will's still seeing visions, and he's actually going to Hawkins Lab to get evaluated by Dr. Owens, who's played by Paul Reiser, and we'll talk about him more in a second as well. And there are still problems there. And we see now that that Hopper is taking care of Eleven and he's hiding her away because he knows that she's in danger and everybody's sworn to secrecy and nobody can talk about anything. So that's basically the premise. And then you see what happens to Will and how his visions become more progressive and you have the shadow monster and everything and stuff starts to go downhill from there. I will say this about this season. The Duffer Brothers and company and everyone that's that was writing this show was absolutely 100% banking on the fact that you were going to be emotionally invested in all of these characters based on last season. Like when you see that, that Joyce is dating again, it's Bob Newby played by Sean Astin who was really, really good on this show and brought a levity to this show that was kind of needed in a very, very serious season. So they were banking on the fact that you were going to love these characters no matter what. And that's one of the things that I really did love about the second season of Stranger Things because I was locked in to these characters, that group dynamic that all of the boys have, you know, Mike, Lucas, Dustin, Will, and, you know, Eleven to a certain extent, even though she wasn't really part of the group until towards the end. I legitimately cared about everything that happened to them. To a lesser extent, Jonathan and Nancy and and Joyce and the parents and things like that, to a very much lesser extent, them. But there were just some, at times, crushing scenes for some of these characters. And then at the same time, there were some wonderful moments, like when Mike and Eleven finally do see each other again. That was an, an amazing moment for me. And all the heartbreaking moments between... Will and his mom and that dynamic. That was that was really great. I loved that. So I understand some of the criticisms of the show this season, but you had to love the characters. And if you really, really loved the characters, I'm not sure that, that you were let down a whole lot. And the writing as a whole, was it as good this season as it was last season? Absolutely not. It's, it is to no fault of any of the performers on this show. The, the, the writing just wasn't as good this season, but I'm not sure that that's a real criticism because season one was written and done so, so well. It set the bar so high so early. I don't know where you really match that. And I mean, especially once you hit episode eight, episodes eight and nine, I mean, I was on edge almost the entire time. I it's that, That's the funny thing too. I knew what was going to happen. And yet here I am still sitting on the edge of my seat. You, you, it is predictable. Yes, that is a fair criticism. But I didn't care because I cared about these characters and I wanted to see how it was going to play out, you know? I mean, there was at one point, there, there are points in certain movies where you kind of figure out what happens. But even if you know what's going to happen, the execution of that matters more than anything else, doesn't it? And for me, those last two episodes especially were very, very good. Let me talk a couple minutes about stuff that I didn't like on the show. One thing that I didn't like 
was it did drag a little bit. There, there were a few episodes towards the beginning that I could have done without. That seventh episode, I know that's the one that's getting the most chatter right now where it's kind of an out-of-continuity episode. And they try to make it important towards the end where, where they give a flashback of, of, El, of El's sister, or should I call her Jane? I mean, what do we call her at this point, right? Of her sister telling her basically how she can harness her power and make herself even more powerful. And yeah, that ends up being important. And, and you see that, that, that El gets some, or Jane gets some much needed, you know, she's seen her family now. So she feels more whole, I guess, is the best way that I could put it. So I guess it matters in that respect, but I mean that's one of those things where I feel like you could have done this entire season, and then given us that episode as a here's what happened in the middle that you didn't see, and give me a special like one-off or two episodes of just Eleven in that world with her sister from Hawkins Lab, and I think that would have been a nice little thing to do, you know, six months from now, you know, while while the while the iron's still hot, just kind of throw that out there. And I think I would have enjoyed it more at that point. It just seemed so out of place in a storyline. I was much more invested in the storyline with Will and with Joyce and with Hopper and all that going on. I was much more invested in that than I was in just this standalone episode for Eleven. And not that there was anything wrong with it. It just didn't fit the whole vibe of the rest of the show. Another thing that kind of bothered me was we had the the new characters, a couple of the new characters, which is uh, Max, Maxine Mayfield, which is played by Sadie Sink, and then Dakri Montgomery plays Billy Hargrove, her stepbrother, and he's the kind of asshole stepbrother kind of thing, and, and she's kind of that way too. But you find out why that she's a little bit a little bit hard on everybody else. It's the family dynamic. It's kind of a trope, and you understand that uh, that's the way she is, but she softens up and she, you know, she makes friends with, with the boys and tries to be part of their group. But at the same time, and, and I thought that Billy had pretty much no purpose in the show whatsoever other than to speak to Max's state of mind. And I'm not even sure you needed him. I just, he lifts right out. And again, this is not any knock on Dakar Montgomery. I actually thought he did a very good job playing the douchebag in this show. I just don't see... What point he had? I mean, I thought there was going to be some point in the show where, you know, a Demogorgon shows up and he redeems himself or something, or, or he has this sort of moment where maybe he dies or something like that. None of those things happen. There's no memorable scene with him, honestly. I mean, he lifts right out, and you could almost say the same for Max, and I did like her. And maybe the reason that she was introduced was to you know, create the create the divide between Lucas and Dustin, and that's why Dustin ends up keeping Dart in his little cage, and that's why he and that's how the Demogorgon ends up growing, and that whole fiasco starts. But that's a pretty big setup to have to use one character for. You don't kind of introduce a character to do that one thing, and that was the other thing that bothered me was that Dustin, who I love and was so good in the last season, and again not getting. Marazzo's fault at all, but I mean that was a stupid thing that he did. I know he's a kid, but you don't keep the thing after everything you went through last season. You don't keep this unknown being. I don't care if you think that a girl's gonna think it's cool or not. What are you thinking keeping this? And you know what? All last season it was justice for for Barb, and now it's we are all Bob this season. And I'll talk more about Bob in a second. What about Yertle? I mean Yertle the turtle who gets evicted from her cage, thrown out, puts the turtle on the ground. We never see the turtle again. I want justice for Yertle. That's what I want. What happened to the turtle? I wonder if the turtle's still alive. Are we going to get hashtag Yertle? Are we going to get hashtag save Yertle at any point? No knock on Barb. I'm glad that she finally got her justice at the end of the show and her parents finally got closure. I want to know what happens to Yertle the turtle. We already know what happens to Muse the cat. That was very unfortunate. I need to know if the same thing happened to Yertle. So if anybody's listening involved with Stranger Things, damn it, I want to know what happened to Yertle the Turtle. Very, very important to me. But those are really my only gripes about the show, other than the writing not being as good. And, I, and again, I don't know how you really recapture that. I really didn't have a problem with the way things went. And I thought that Will was the one that I was locked in on the most. And, and Noah Schnapp does such a fantastic job especially in those last two episodes where he's just screaming and playing that like possessed being and sure were there tropes in this absolutely there are a few tropes 
didn't bother me because I enjoyed this cast. I enjoyed the dynamic. I enjoyed the characters. So those things just didn't bother me. So if they bothered you, maybe you just didn't get as invested in these characters as you thought you did in the first season. Maybe that was part of it. It was a little corny the way that that Nancy and Jonathan finally got together and you knew that that was going to happen eventually. Sure. Was the conspiracy theory guy a little corny? Absolutely. Were Were there things that just made you slap your forehead and go, really? Come on. Sure. But overall, if you're looking at the big picture, I think that the show's second season did do it justice. And now we kind of see a little bit of closure to this upside down story, even though we know the shadow monster is still alive and that's not going to be going away. But now we get to see them maybe turn the corner and do something a little bit different. And maybe the shadow monster shows up as a surprise at one point towards the end. So I'm not sure where they're going to go with season three. I do. I did love Bob and, and what he did at the, at the end. And he didn't really sacrifice himself. He became an unfortunate victim. So I think that that was another thing that was very interesting was that, they made him the unfortunate victim instead of, like, the hero. And he was the hero because he got the lights back on in a very Jurassic Park-esque scene. It was like Sean Astin was playing the Samuel L. Jackson role there, the hold on to your butts, except he gets eaten by a thousand demodogs or demogorgons, whatever you want to call them. So I think that that was a very strong moment in the show. And now it looks like going forward we're going to see Joyce and Jim Hopper. Maybe they start something up because you sort of tease that in the second season as well. And then the the final scene where they're all together in that dance, I thought that that was a nice scene, especially between between Mike and Eleven. And you see what Nancy does for Dustin. I thought that that was really, really cool. I just thought that the interactions with all the characters that they had, there were no throwaway moments between this dynamic and the original cast. I, I really didn't think there was. Other than things dragging on too long, but again, that's not really the fault of anyone in the cast. You could have probably knocked this down one episode and made it a eight episodes like they did last time with even with that standalone because I'm not saying that one specific episode didn't need to be in there other than the seventh one. What I'm saying is is that you, you took a little bit too much time to get to certain points, I guess. And, but, I mean, you laid a lot of groundwork. I understand that you had to do that. You, you turned Steve into a totally different character. I love that they did that, and I'm curious to see how that works going forward, or if he's going to be a focal point of the show. And you see Dr. Owens, Paul Reiser's character, redeem himself as well. Everybody has their redeeming moment, and you get to see what you want. You get Justice for Barb, you get Hawkins' lab shut down, and now the question is, where do we go from here? Where does Season 3 go? Because we know that it's starting up already. If you've got any ideas, always reach out to us at downandnerdy757 on Twitter. Love to hear your thoughts on that. I will definitely be watching season three of Stranger Things. If I was to rate season two, I would probably give this uh, seven Three Musketeers out of ten. Maybe that's a little high. Maybe I could go six. But I enjoyed it. Call me crazy. It wasn't the greatest thing in the world. It certainly didn't live up to the first season, but I enjoy these characters, and that's kind of what I was going for with this. It's going to do it for my spoiler-filled review of Stranger Things. Up next, we're going to say Shazam and talk about a little bit of nerd news next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hi, this is Sean Ryan. And I'm Eric Kripke. And we're the creators of Timeless on NBC, and you're listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Say that magic word and let the lightning bolts come down because it's time for nerd news. And a lot of the nerd news actually happened earlier in the week. I just haven't had a chance to talk about it yet, so let's do it now. One of the biggest stories of the week definitely had to be that Zachary Levi, of course, he was in the Thor movies, he was on Chuck, going to be starring as Shazam in the big Shazam movie, and of course, David F. Sandberg, already on tap to direct. This was first reported by The Hollywood Reporter and, of course, confirmed by Levi himself. Who wouldn't be excited to be part of the DC Universe at this point. Now he's going to have have been worked in both the Marvel and DC Universe. Now, fan reaction to this has been kind of split. I'm a huge Zachary Levi fan, so I was really, really excited when I saw this. I think he'll do a great job. If you've seen Chuck, and that's kind of what you need to see to understand why he is good for this role. If you've never seen Chuck, maybe go watch a few episodes of it somewhere because... There were times where, of course, he was goofy Chuck Bartowski, right? Especially in the beginning of the show. He was goofy, he was nerdy, and it just worked. But there were also times where he had to be serious on the show, especially 
towards the final season of the show, and in the final season, things got a lot more serious. So you could see that he would definitely be able to play both roles very, very well. And Shazam's not the most serious of characters, but here's the one thing I want to squash right now, and this is something that always seems to be a common problem on Twitter. You find the one thing to nitpick on, and you run with it. Anyone that has said Zachary Levi is too small, not bulky enough, to play Shazam, come on, guys. Like, you can't hit the gym. Nobody can hit the gym. I realize that he's probably going to be, you know, we're kind of close to filming, so it's he's going to have to hit it really hard and maybe bulk up a little bit. It wouldn't be the first time someone bulked up really, really quickly for a role. I think that this is going to be absolutely fine. Plus, you know, there's going to be some CG involved. How could there not be? I understand it might look a little weird to him standing next to The Rock because, let's face it, Zachary Levi is not going to become Dwayne The Rock Johnson in a few months. It's just not going to happen. I don't care how hard you work out, how many protein shakes you're drinking. He's not going to, no matter what The Rock is cooking, he's never going to get to that level in that short amount of time. And if he does, more power to Zachary Levi, man. I mean, I, I hope that he really brings this role to life, and I think he will. But what he looks like almost doesn't matter as much as how he plays this out personality-wise. And you want somebody that's going to be able to play this role across several movies, right? You want this to be a success, so not, why not grab a guy that's going to be able to play the role that it needs the way it needs to be played and be done with it. Don't get hung up on looks. We get so hung up on the looks of these characters in these stories, and it's almost like we value the look of the character over the execution, and I think that that's a huge mistake. We've got to stop doing that. Give Zachary Levi a chance. At least wait for a first trailer or something before you start picking it apart. You know what I mean? Something very interesting that came out of Los Angeles Comic Con over the past week was that Quantum Leap might be making a comeback. You might remember that show with Scott Bakula. Well, the creator, Donald Belisaro, revealed at LA Comic Con that he actually just kind of wrote a movie script for a reboot of Quantum Leap. I guess he just had the characters in mind, just decided to write one, because I guess why not? Nothing better to do. The show has not aired since 1993, other than in reruns. So we're talking, we're coming up on, what, the 25th anniversary of Quantum Leap? I don't think that we're going to get it done and cast it or anything like that that quickly. I mean, it's not even options yet. I mean, just because there's a script, according to Entertainment Weekly, doesn't mean that this has any future whatsoever until somebody picks it up. Here's the question, though. Other than fans of the original show, I know that time travel seems to be a hot-button thing right now in TV and in movies. It seems to be something that's kind of hot right now. Is this something you want? And, And is this something that we need? I think that's the question that we ask with any 80s or 90s reboot. What's coming? Is this is this something that we want or need? Here's my thing. Maybe we don't need this. But I like the idea more of doing this as a standalone movie rather than actually going ahead and making this a series because it was a series before and then you've got to go at least, what, 10 episodes, maybe 13 episodes, or if you do a full 22-episode order, that's a lot to ask of any reboot, right? So why not make a movie, you know, just a couple of hours, maybe hour 45 minutes, Scratch the itch a little bit, do a reboot, and he even says in this in in the panel, this would this would in fact be a reboot, and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, maybe you get a sequel out of it, but if it doesn't work, I know that movies cost money, okay, I'm not stupid, but if it doesn't work, kind of what's the harm in it? So just see where it goes, see how the script is, maybe you get the pre-production process started. And it wouldn't be the first movie that they just decided to go, ah, you know what, this isn't working, let's just not do this. Speaking of things that might not be working, you know that Gotham has cast Poison Ivy more than once. Well, we're getting a third spin of the wheel now because Peyton List, according to the Nerdist, has been cast as Ivy Pepper Poison Ivy again. This is the third time in four seasons that Poison Ivy has been recast. Of course, the first time it kind of makes made sense when Maggie Gaya took over the role for Claire Foley. Because, you know, when she was touched by one of Hugo Strange's characters, one of the monsters, she aged up from the little girl to, I guess, the 20s version? The, the early 20s version of Poison Ivy is the best way that I could possibly describe it. But she still had the, the mind of a child. 
So I understood it when they did it that way. And of course, we saw Poison Ivy recently, or I should say Ivy Pepper, drink those potions because she wanted to change. She wanted to be more serious. So she drank all those potions, even though she was warned not to. And you know that she's going to be transforming in some possible way. And I love Peyton List, okay? And that's who's going to be our new Poison Ivy. I love Peyton List. Of course, we saw her as Lisa Snart in the Arrowverse on The Flash recently. So this is her second time in DC TV. And and I'm I can't wait to see her on Gotham. I'm not saying I'm not looking forward to this, but we at some point have got to pump the brakes on this a little bit, right? Is this a casting that really needed to be done? Did this need to be recast? Or is, I mean, and I don't understand what the lack of faith is here. And and Maggie Gay, to her credit, has you know she's gone out gracefully saying you know good luck to everybody. But and I'm not putting words in her mouth here, but you got to be a little steamed about this, right? If you're Maggie. And I, Maggie, if you hear this, I'm not, again, I'm not putting words in your mouth and I'm not saying that you should feel a certain way, but if it's me, I'm a little steamed, right? It's almost like a lack of faith in her ability to, to play the role in a more serious light. And that's exactly why the producers said, said that they did this in a certain way. They said that they're going to make her more like she is in the comics and they're going to, they're going to make her more a little bit more serious. She's going to be, this is one of the quotes here, intent on making Gotham the city of her own green paradise. And we kind of saw teases of that in, in part of the other episodes where Maggie was playing, but I think Maggie could have done dangerous. I think she could have done a live wire of crazy energy, which was another one of the quotes, but I'll be honest. I didn't like the way the character was written during the show when she was playing the character, you know, kind of the the mind of a child and an adult. I understand why you do that, but it just didn't play off for me. It, it didn't work. And, and the way Penguin was treating her as, as, as a second-class citizen, basically, I mean, I know that that's Penguin's role to do things like that, and she's certainly not the only one he does that to. But you look at it and you go, this is Poison Ivy, or at least we know it's going to be. You you can't let her get pushed around all the time. She's, a, she's an amazingly badass character, in the DC universe, but I don't think you had to recast her to make that happen. So whatever reason, I hope it works out. And again, I love Peyton list. So I know that she'll do a fantastic job in the role, but hopefully we don't get a bunch of recasting for any other characters too. That's another thing that I'm worried about is that it won't stop with poison Ivy. And then we'll, we'll get a lot more recasting. I hope that that does not happen on Gotham. And this is just kind of an aberration with this one character. Here's something that I didn't really expect. We know that New Warriors was supposed to be coming to Freeform in 2018, in the summer of 2018. And, of course, we already had Derek Theller as Mr. Immortal cast. Milana Vantrube is going to be cast as Squirrel Girl. But apparently now, there's no home for this show for Marvel Entertainment. The Hollywood Reporter reports that Freeform's no longer going to air the half-hour comedy because they have no spot to put it in their lineup. So now Marvel Entertainment's kind of scrambling, trying to find a home for this. Now, to, to make matters worse, of course, it's it's all in the Disney family, right? They're not allowed to shop this show, meaning Marvel, outside of the Disney family of networks. So that gives you very, very limited options. I mean, is this something you could even see on ABC? I know we know nothing about this show, really, but does, does this even work on ABC? And I mean, we, you've seen what's happened within humans and how that hasn't really worked out well. And reports are that the pilot for this, for this show has tested through the roof. It's going to be great. And it just seemed like Freeform was a good fit for this. And now they suddenly can't find a place for it. Let's talk about that for a second, too. You're Freeform. You've already got Cloak and Dagger coming from Marvel, which looks like, at least in the early going, like that's going to work out well and something that's fit perfect, perfect for the network. You can't find a spot for a Marvel show that, I mean, that Marvel brand that has so much cachet in this business, you can't find a tiny little half hour spot for this new warrior series, especially if it tested well, if it didn't test well and, and you know, it, people went, you know, I don't know, this doesn't seem like it's a good idea. Let's just back it off a little bit and not make it happen. You've got to find a spot for this if you're freeform. You've had other success with shows like Pretty Little Liars, and they've had other shows that get a lot of chatter. This is a Marvel show. This is serious. And you've already got one other Marvel show that you have coming. You don't just push this aside 
because you can't find a spot for it, you find a spot or you move something else. And I know that it's not necessarily that simple. There's contractual obligations and all these other things, but tell me that they didn't have that with Marvel. And again, this is something that's inside the Disney family. It's not like they're plucking a show that was from some random creator. This is from Marvel. This isn't something that they picked up. This is something that is in-house. Find a way to make this work, but they're not going to. So then you kind of search. You're not going to throw it on something like Disney XD or anything like that. I still, again, don't think this works on ABC. I'd be worried about putting this on a comedy block. I mean, could you imagine Modern Family followed by New Warriors from Marvel? I know that this being a comedy show might be a little weird, but just you have to have a vibe in your programming lineup. And I don't think that that fits the vibe anywhere on ABC. So I don't know if maybe we see this end up going to a streaming service at some point. I know that Marvel's going to have their own thing through Disney here soon. So maybe you don't want to partner up with a Hulu or something like that to put this on because, you know, Hulu's running, doing runaways right now. So I I just don't understand why you can't find a way to do this. So hopefully they find a new home because apparently they're gung-ho about this being out in 2018 no matter what. So hopefully there's a new home somewhere for New Warriors because this is actually a show that I was pretty excited about and I can't wait to see at least a first trailer at some point. That's going to do it for Nerd News. Up next, we're going to talk a little bit of gaming and a little bit more TV with Victoria Atkin talking about Horizon Zero Dawn, the Frozen Wilds DLC, and Extinct TV next on the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Hey, this is Chad Michael Collins from Extinct and Sony Sniper Franchise. You are listening to the Down and Nerdy Podcast. Well, you know, if we have anybody back on our podcast, it's because they're doing something amazing, and she's actually doing many amazing things. Welcome back to the show, Victoria Atkin. How you doing? I'm doing very well, thank you. So before we get into all those great things that you are doing right now, let's talk about Evie Fry and, and Syndicate for a minute, because <laughs> how does it kind of make you feel getting so much love from the fans for that character two years later? I know. it's It really is. <laughs> I still can't get my head around it most of the time but it's amazing you know I've had so much great support and encouragement positive feedback and just this wealth of love for this wonderful character that I get the opportunity to play so um, I just feel very lucky and I, and I feel very loved so thank you to all the Assassin's Creed fans. I think you're going to be getting a lot more love too because now you have a role in another big franchise which is Horizon Zero Dawn with the Frozen <laughs> Wilds is going to be coming out so I saw that I think I saw somewhere you're playing two characters what can you tell us about that? Well because it's not out I still can't tell you very much at all but I did motion capture for one character and then uh, they enjoyed my work and and just as I was finishing the voiceover for this character uh, they said Victoria do you want we want you to do another character. And so they did. And so I just play this fun, fun, fun character, which I, I can't even say the name of it. But anyway, I'm sure I will be able to on November 7th. But she's fun. Really, really fun. Very different to what I've played before. So the first character is more of a warrior, which is where I'm used to <laughs> mm-hmm. used to playing. But the second character is really fun. But I'm really looking forward to it because I haven't seen any of the animation. Oh, really? So so you, you're kind of going to be going into this fresh like we are? Yeah, definitely. You know, um, Assassin's Creed was really good because I was part of the process of, you know, bringing the character together and working with Paul in rehearsal, who played Jacob, and, and really, you know, starting from scratch with that. Whereas Horizon Zero Dawn, obviously the franchise is established, the game was established, and so I came on board as almost like a guest and put this character together and yeah so I don't really know I I saw a brief outline of the main character that I've motion captured um, but I haven't seen anything of the other character but I'm told that she's very fun and I'm going to enjoy it so (laughs) so with that motion capture work I know we've talked to you about that before how did the motion capture work this time around kind of differ or was it similar to kind of Assassin's Creed what were the differences there well the differences were that there were a lot of women on set so that was fun. There was lots. Um, I get to work with Ashley and Jeremy, who's done a lot of voiceover stuff too. Um, so I, I didn't do as much, obviously, as I did for Evie Fry. So it was fun to just play and, you know, Ashley Birch, who plays Aloy, led the way and we just helped support her. So it was good. It was, I guess, a little less pressure. I was able to have a little bit more fun because... 
I wasn't the lead of the game. <laughs> yeah, that does take the pressure off a little bit. <laughs> yeah. So actually, one of the kings of, of motion capture and voice stuff, too, is Andy Serkis. He's very well yeah. known for a lot of his roles in, in motion pictures. So if you could kind of pick one movie franchise that you'd love to work in, oh, what would man. it be? Well, I would love to take motion capture. I would love to be a female Andy Serkis and, uh, and bring that through. I mean, Avatar, the second one, is is being made and and i would love to be part of that but and i mean anything that brings motion capture and helps enhance a performance i love the planet of the apes um franchise but i don't know I'm, a movie without motion capture or just with motion capture uh, well, well why why not both let's let's hear about <laughs> one that's not motion capture well one that's not motion capture i would love to be part of the wonder woman second film of that i mean so i would love to do that but uh I don't know. I'm I'm also I have that superhero life that I love and also I love period drama, so The Crown and and those types of things, big big movies about historical figures and people in history. That does seem like that be in your wheelhouse. I could definitely see you working on The Crown. Mm, yes. I I just finished that series and I I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was really, really good. And I know that a, a series that a lot of people are really starting to get into is Extinct, which you're doing on BYU TV. And it's just great yeah. seeing you in live action. Now, <laughs> when you found out about that role, what was kind of your first impression of Fina? Well, I knew she had a lot of secrets. And, and to be honest, when I first took on the role, I'd only read the pilot. And I discovered the character as did all of us as we were going through because we wouldn't get the scripts that far in advance of filming. So as you guys discover it week by week, that was almost happening every other week for me. <laughs> but yeah, I read the pilot and I realized that, you know, she was she was somebody that I just was excited to explore and somebody that I was excited to delve into their life in this circumstance. You know, the human race has been extinct and, you know, what where has this woman come from and, and what does she bring? And also the preparation for it, you know, we're bringing somebody back to life that's had many lives and and how how do you do that and as an actor I was just extremely excited about it and I mainly I mean I've mainly done television uh, motion capture since Evie Fry has been this new thing that I've been getting into in voiceover but um, it was lovely to get back on set and, and really have that playtime and work with some really fun actors and talented crew and actors and it was just it was just really great let's talk about that uh, multiple lives thing here for just a second anybody that hasn't watched episode six of extinct this is going to be a little bit of a spoiler oh, now sorry. So i know it's, i know it's already come out but let's 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 talk about let's talk about this anybody hasn't seen it just warning you now now in that last episode there was a real rise and fall of emotions fina finding out what happened to her previously on the settlement when she lived there were duncan and then duncan up and turning on her in that episode. So what was it like shooting that particular episode? Uh, well, <laughs> Fina's heart's all over the place in this and is in complete turmoil because as we see from episodes one to six, she she plays the tough nut and thinks that she can handle most things. <laughs> but when it comes to her heart, she she's not very good. <laughs> she's no. not very good at, <laughs> yeah. at dealing with her emotions and um, and her loyalty to somebody that's not quite as loyal. <laughs> so she struggles, and I mean that scene was really was really fun actually to shoot with Jake from going from our almost little love bubble of reminiscing and talking about very intimate, sweet parts of our relationship of things i won't give too much away but um to going from that to him you know 360 just completely well 180 i should say turning on me and <laughs> and the rest of the reborns to get what he wanted so yeah i mean it's such a fun show we um i was just back in utah doing some promotion for it last week but it's yeah it's just i know the the adventure of it and the writing from aaron and Orson scott carter it's just an adventure Every every episode is such an adventure, and I'm so excited for everybody to see episodes 9 and 10 also when that comes out on the 19th of November. I will say this. One of the things I love about the show is the group dynamic between the Reborns that are there right now. We had Chad Michael Collins on the show not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago, actually, and you actually had a tense scene uh, with him in the last couple of episodes, too. What What's it like working with this cast and playing off of two very different types of characters in Ezra and Abram? Well, first of all, these people have become like some of my very best friends now. 
we worked together for I mean a year and and not only are you know sometimes you go on these projects and you don't you don't really connect with people afterwards and you you know both of you you all do your job and then people go away but these these wonderful wonderful actors and actresses have also become just such great friends and and as a group we just are we just have so much fun <laughs> I just so but Chad and York are very different men but they're also wonderful in each of their own unique ways and bring something very different to the show so I feel very lucky to be in the middle of both of those dynamics York is is very similar to Abram he's one of the most beautiful human beings I've ever met in my life he has just got the best smile and is very caring like Abram and you know always wants to make sure everybody's okay and and Chad is just a wonderful leader he's so good at getting everybody together and organizing things and things happening strategically and you know working out the best plan of action for things so it really does work well I'm not sure where I come in middle of this sandwich but (laughs) maybe I'm a (laughs) combination of both of that but they're they're just wonderful to work with and and I've learned a lot as a as a woman and as an actress from both of them. Talking to Victoria Atkin about Horizon Zero Dawn the Frozen Wilds and of course Extinct TV which is on Extinct which is on BYU TV. Now Victoria following you all on social media. I know that the fans of the show really kind of appreciate how active you all are and into the show that you all seem to be. So how important has that been to you and does it kind of fuel all of you to kind of make these episodes even greater as you're going? Oh, definitely. You know, the, the fans are the, are the ones, and, and as we've seen with Assassin's Creed, are the ones that make the show. You know, without without a fan base and without the support and the interest and people enjoying the, enjoying the show, it just doesn't it doesn't happen and, and it doesn't make it fun for anybody <laughs> if, if no one's engaged and nobody's you know, knows about it. So we've been really, and because it's on BYU TV, which a lot of people, unless they have Roku or Apple TV, we're trying to also get that the word out of where where you can watch it, um, particularly that you can binge watch it, you know, as mm-hmm. you can with Netflix. All the first eight episodes are on there. So we're very keen to make sure that as many people as possible that enjoy sci-fi and that enjoy action and want to see a brand new show are able to um, connect with it and find it and, and enjoy it. One of the things I kind of got a chuckle out of as I'm watching it was that every time the sparks seem to give you guys food, it's those nasty weeds that just come floating up from out of the water. So, and the group just has been finding find a way to make it work. So, if you had to cook the weeds, okay, and you had <laughs> one spice that you could use, what would you want it to be? This is a good question. Oh, I'm, I'm now going for either health or taste. So, there's a part of me that would want to cook it in some ginger, just because I think it would help us. Okay, yeah, I think system. that would help. <laughs> But then there's another part of me that's like, no, we need extreme flavor. Um, not that ginger wouldn't do that, but I don't know. Just give it some paprika or something. I don't know. <laughs> Anything. Yeah, that would give it a kick for sure. That, <laughs> that would definitely give it some flavor. See, for me, I would think I would have to go garlic because I think everything's kind of better with garlic. And I think you could do a little bit of, of stuff with that. So that would be my choice, I think. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a great answer too. I wish it just wasn't weeds really. We could have something else. The sparks could make something else. They're so good at making a human being. I don't understand why they can't make us anything other than just we. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You can make a person, but you can't make me a cheeseburger. Thanks for that. Appreciate it. <laughs> now, another another thing that I think is actually kind of fun about the show is are the are the drones on the show. But there's a lot of back talk that actually comes yeah. from these drones from you guys. But but a lot of it seems to be directed at Ezra and Fina. Now, do you think that Abram is Yellow's favorite? Yeah, I think so. I, I also found that Red is a little bit of a stalker for Fina. And she mm. gets really annoyed <laughs> <laughs> After fixing him, then he just follows her around. So, yeah, well, they love Abram, don't they? Because he's in charge of the obelisk and he obeys by... He abides by all the rules. Whereas Fina and Ezra really... Are a little bit naughty when they just they want to do their own thing. <laughs> yeah, they kind of like to march by the beat of their own drum. That's for sure. <laughs> that's why they clash. Yep, there you go. And that's one of the things we love about the show. Now, Victoria, <laughs> before I let you go, I know that you're not only a great actress and great voice actress, but you're also you've been you've been a writer as well. You've you've been an author. So I wanted I to have. ask you are you are you working on anything right now? And would you ever be interested in maybe working on a comic book project at some point? 
Well, I'm always open to new ideas and adventures. I love just I love creating. So, yes, I have started my second book. That's been in the process for a few months. I keep picking it up and putting it back down because of other projects coming in. But um, I am in the process of doing that. Uh, follow up from my book London Love. So I'm doing that. I'm also working with a fantastic, a uh, young new animator. I've been writing a child's or well, children's animation series, which is you know still in development. But I've been doing that. I'm always I'm always trying to do something or create something. So yes, that's I am I am writing and I, and I like to do that. When and where that will happen and manifest, I'm still not sure. But we uh yes i'm doing that and and hope to have that up and running probably in 2018 get some stuff going on that now guys if you love victoria atkin like we do you're going to be really really happy because she's just got so much going on right now horizon zero dawn the frozen wilds dlc is going to be available on november the 7th on playstation and then we've got it's extinct which you can not only watch as she said on on apple tv or roku tv to get the app it's really easy i did it it takes like five seconds you can also watch it on byu tv dot org and get the first episode eight episodes right now and as far as anything else victoria's got going on just go to victoriaatkin.com or follow her on twitter at victoria atkin and i think i've said her name a thousand times already let's do it one more victoria (laughs) atkin thanks for joining me this week thank you so much i love the down and nerdy podcast it's a fantastic show and uh thanks again for having me on and you know what, Victoria? We love you right back, too. So many great things that she has going on. Seriously, guys, if you haven't seen Extinct on BYU TV, just download the app. It takes five seconds. The show is really, really good. Don't let the fact that it's on BYU TV, a network that maybe you've never heard of, throw you. This is a good quality show. Otherwise, I wouldn't have had a second guest on from the show. You know our track record on the show, and I'm not going to steer you wrong. This is definitely something... You should be checking out, and you can binge the first eight episodes right now. That cliffhanger that Victoria and I were talking about on on episode six, you can go beyond that to seven and eight and see what happens immediately. And maybe at eight, there's another cliffhanger waiting for you, but you won't have to wait too much longer, of course, mid-November for more episodes of Extinct. Also get Horizon Zero Dawn, the DLC, Frozen Wild is going to be out on November the 7th on PlayStation. And if you were a Horizon Zero Dawn fan before, This looks like it expands on that world a lot. And we'll finally get to find out what two characters Victoria was actually talking about. And she does such a fantastic job. Whether you've been following her since Assassin's Creed or not, just a wonderful job and a wonderful person. Victoria Atkin. Find out more about her as well at victoriaatkin.com. You can also find out more about us by going to our website, downandnerdypodcast.com. That's where you can find our social media feeds, facebook.com slash downandnerdy, at downandnerdy757 on Twitter and on Instagram as well. And maybe a guest announcement going to be coming up for who's going to be on next week's show. You can always watch out for those as well. Until then, you never have to apologize for being a nerd. So let your fan flag fly and be good to your fellow nerds.